All right, folks, this is your Places Call, places for top of show. Places, places, please. All right, welcome to Waiting for Places, the podcast about central regional stage managers. Uh, Today's guest is Tara Kelly. Hello. Hi. Hi, Tara. I'm so excited. I haven't seen you, I think, since we had pie in December of 2019. Was that December? Yeah, it was. I had just moved here. It's it's so weird to be on the other side of this, first of all. But yeah, it was definitely the end of 2019 before, you know, the world. I know. The world has shifted. And now we're coming up on the one year anniversary. I know. The one year anniversary of like, I left work. Um, after my, I was doing a kid's show in Lincolnshire and I left work that after that morning and I came home, it was Thursday. Uh, and then we got an email around six o'clock that, uh, there wasn't going to be a show the next day and we could come in the next morning and pick up all our stuff. And we kind of like stood around. And at that point that show was canceled permanently, um, because they knew that because they are run by a hotel, essentially, like Lincoln, the theater in Lincolnshire is their parent company is the ho- is the Marriott Hotel, I believe. Um, and so, because it's a, it was also a hotel, they knew they were going to be shut down till at least the end of April, which would have, which you know, superseded the end of our show run anyway. So I knew at that point that I wasn't going back. But we also thought that the end of April was probably going to be it. That's what everybody thought then. Um, like, well, yeah, we'll come back in April and it'll be great. <laughs> um, and now it's, yeah, it's almost been a year. In 12 days, it'll be a year since I left work and never returned. But okay, so this is where we are. You're sitting at home knitting a beautiful, is that a blanket? Yeah, it's a it's a blanket, um, which you can see, nobody else can see. Okay, so this is where we are. Where did you, where did you come from? What is the story of Tara Kelly? Tell mm. me the beginning. What is your origin? My origin story, I wish it was um, that it ended up with me getting bit by a radioactive spider or something. But uh, <laughs> I start. I grew up in Long Island, New York, uh, and then I went to college in upstate New York, SUNY New Paltz. Depending on who you talk to, some up, up, upstate New Yorkers don't think that New Paltz is upstate. But it's about 20, it's about 20 or 40 miles south of Woodstock, uh, to put it into perspective, or it's about two hours uh, an hour and a half outside of the city. So it's not that far. Um, and so I went to college there and I was a theater major, a performing, a performance, theater performance. They didn't, they had a technical theater. I mean, it was, again, it was the nineties. I went to college in the nineties. Um, <laughs> so the, the programs weren't quite as advanced as they are now for, uh, for anything that wasn't acting mm-hmm. um they did have a technical theater program it was a bfa program and it was sort of a general um tech program and then a general acting program and then with either of those you could put in a like a musical theater performance if you were a performer or uh you like your concentration would be musical theater and if you were a technical theater your concentration would be whatever your chosen field was um so i was a performance major and I tr- I had transferred into the school and I hadn't been cast in anything and it was getting on. I was in my, I just started my senior year and I didn't know what it was like to be part of a production from beginning to end because I've done, you know, if I didn't get cast, I was the kid that was like, great, I'll be on the crew because I just wanted to be part of mm-hmm. theater. I mean, I did it. I did theater in high school. I was in the International Thespian Society. We went to Muncie, Indiana. 
for the good old Muncie. Yeah, so Ball State University, there's the International Thespian Society Festival that they used to have every year, which was, I don't know if they even still do that or if it was, what, but we did it in high school. My high school did it every year. And so um, I had done that. And so here I was, and I'd never been part, though, of a production, meaning I'd never been cast in anything um, so that I was part of it from start to finish. And I was feeling like that was a big hole in my education for somebody that was supposed to be going to school for theater. So I started trying to craft ways to be part of the production from the beginning to the end. And the only other way to do that, if you weren't an actor that I could figure out was a stage manager. Mm-hmm. So I woke up and I said, I'm going to be a stage manager. I'm going to stage manage the big spring musical. And everybody's like, uh, Tara, that's literally not how it works. You don't just decide you're going to stage manage a big musical. You start and you, you know, you, ASM on things and I was like well but I am running out of time actually literally running out of time I'm going to graduate I need to do something so I went to the head of the 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 director of the spring musical it was Pippin and I said I would like to be your stage manager and she was like have you stage managed anything before and I said no but I'm taking a stage management class which was a joke I mean (laughs) <laughs> it was basically it was the it was like a mickey mouse class that everybody called it you would go in all the tests were crossword puzzles that the teacher would make and if you didn't know an answer you just raise your hand and say i'm really confused about this question and then she would give you clues to the answer i mean it was it really wasn't a stretch at all uh but she was she had been a stage manager in her life she started her life as a dancer um she was old as the hills she um she had started her life as a dancer on the tour of kismet with um oh uh with ethel merman Mm -hmm. so she was not a young lady um (laughs) and so and she'd gotten hurt and so then she became more interested in stage management and so she taught the stage management class and she was in charge of the dance department so i went to her because i was taking her class and i was like i want to stage manage the spring musical and i don't have any experience she's like well do you want to do the dance concerts so i said sure and she's like great so um and you get credit for those so i did the fall dance concert which if anybody has ever been a stage manager um those are those are not the easiest things they don't have any um there's no there's no script there's mm-hmm. no sheet music it's just you know uh and the way we did them in our college was every dance had a choreographer every choreographer had a lighting designer and so mm-hmm. so every piece was like taking a little show um and then between every act you would bring the house lights up to half and you'd bring in the curtain and so there was a lot of things to learn, and I had to learn how to sort of write a production book from nothing. I didn't have any reference points. And after the first night of the dance concert, it ran for like three days, the director of Pippin came over, and she was like, are you still interested in doing Pippin? And I was like, yes. And so um, one of my friends was standing there, and she's like, did you hear that? You're going to do Pippin! And I was like, yeah. And there had been this, uh, there had been somebody else that had said the same thing, that you can't stage manage a show with zero experience um but then we uh after i was made that offer and she'd seen the dance concert she kind of rescinded her name from it because she didn't want to do it she was begrudgingly doing it because she felt like she needed to um so then i so i that was my first show i stage managed my first main stage big show was pippin and that's sort of been what i've 
done since then. Um, By wait, hold on. What you've done since then, do you mean you've just decided you're going to do something and then figure out how to do it? Or do you mean you've been stage managing ever since? Uh, Both. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's it's sort of, I realized at that point that if I just, I think I had done it a couple of times too. I mean, I just decided, I sort of just decide what I'm going to do and then figure out a way to do it. Uh, It is a sort of became a trait of my personality, but also uh, big musicals are the things that I, I've pretty much, if you were to look at my resume, it's mostly big musicals. I, I've talked to stage managers that love Shakespeare or love like the new works and, or the, you know, the in-depth, I love the big musical. I've, that's pretty, and it's probably cause it's, I was my trial by fire. Uh, after, I mean, after Pippin, I did, a, I did, um, much ado about nothing Shakespeare outside so I started with a big musical and then I did an outdoor musical an outdoor show a big Shakespeare show uh and then from there I just have been doing I think my first thing I got paid for outside of college was the musical working Mm -hmm. um and then from there it's just I mean I've done Beauty and the Beast three times and I've done Chorus Line three times and I've done um Mamma Mia twice and I, I mean it's just I've um I and Children of Eden, Wizard of Oz, Can Can, South Pacific twice. I mean, it's just all of, pretty much my whole career has just been giant musicals because it's the thing that I started in and I'm just good at it. And it's, I find it the most fun mm-hmm. um, because it keeps me busy. I have a, it's, it's why uh, Katrina is watching me knit right now because I have a, a focus problem. Like I can't just sit. I have a real problem with being still and not doing anything. I actually uh, taught myself how to knit. I'm crochet. I guess technically, I keep saying I'm knitting. I'm crocheting right now, which I have to look at what I'm doing. Um, I taught myself how to knit, which is the one with the two the two needles. Um, I taught myself how to knit without looking, so that I could knit during shows, so that it kept my hands engaged. Because I really do have a um, if I. If I'm doing a play without a lot of cues and I'm not knitting, I just drift off. I don't know. I have a real problem staying focused. So um, things like that are like my touchstone of, of focus. So I, a lot of people got really lovely scarves that were knit in boots um, doing, big, doing big musicals. Uh, but yeah, so after I graduated from college, um, and it, it just turned out that I was good at stage managing. That's what happened when I discovered with Pippin. Um, and I wasn't getting cast as an actor. And so it seemed like a, a silly thing to try to keep doing it if no one was going to cast me. And so, and I was good at stage management and I love being a part of the big musicals, which was, you know, what my big focus was. And so I graduated and I started looking for work. And I remember, cause it was the late nineties, it was not, a, so I went to Barnes and Noble cause I lived out on Long Island and I got a, uh, a, uh, backstage from the Barnes and Noble bookstore <laughs> and I I sit uh you know and I'd sit in it because I couldn't afford to buy it <laughs> so I would sit and see I would always open it and see if there was anything good in it before I would buy it I didn't want to waste my money I was like if there's a job in there for me I will pay for the magazine but if there isn't a job I don't want to pay for it because then that's just a waste of money so I'd buy it and look through and see and there was a job posting for um downtown cabaret theater in Bridgeport Connecticut and they had a children's season and that was my first paid, like, full-time job after college was I did a year as a, as the stage manager of their, children comp- their children's company. And from there, it just sort of, 
escalated. I uh, <laughs> I did a summer not as a stage manager, but as a crew member because I didn't, I wasn't really sure. It was hard in the 90s. <laughs> I keep saying that because there wasn't an internet. So looking for work was trickier when you were working because I didn't have, um, I would get art search mail to me. Um, and then I'd have to go seek out a backstage because I didn't want to buy a subscription because, like I said, there's not always jobs for stage managers in there. Um, but those are the only two resources I was aware of. I didn't know anybody in the theater world prior to deciding to do this. All the people I knew in the theater world were people I had gone to college with. So it wasn't like I had anybody to go, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I find work? So I was just doing what I could figure out. And um, I ended up finding, uh, I, so I did a summer at Gateway Playhouse in their, in their crew. Um, we did a bunch of big shows there. Uh, also, again, it's all big musicals. But I also, they have a performing arts center in Patchogue that I helped open that summer. Because um, that was what the whole crew did that summer. And then from there, I started, the, my next job was at Allenberry Playhouse in Pennsylvania, which is sort of kind of where I really consider everything starting to kick off because ultimately Allenberry is where I got my equity card because they would do these 32 week summers. Oh, so it's summer stock out at Allenberry. Yeah, they do summer stock. They first hired me. Um, they have, they have since sadly closed. I mean, they still exist, but not the Allenberry that I worked at. It's, they sold it and it's, it's now a non-equity theater um, with the same name. So you know, people in the area will still go, but anybody who, you know, it's, you can't work there anymore because it's not equity, but um, it's still, it was, so they would do, they, it's, Allenberry is a resort and a playhouse run by two brothers. One brother runs the resort and one ran the playhouse. The playhouse was an equity, uh, an equity house. And then the resort would produce two shows a year, which were non-equity. And so those two, that was where I started. I got a job in one of the non-equity shows. They did a spring show and then a Christmas show because the equity season was a summer. They were a course summer stock mm -hmm. uh, company. So in the, in the winter, I mean, and this Christmas show that they would do would start uh, on Halloween and it would run through the new year. It was the longest Christmas season. People started, <laughs> would start to come the, like they had a big, um, bus like you know they would nursing homes would come in and bus groups would come in and you know because they had a buffet as well so that was like their bread and butter it was like the christmas show and this because it's just a happy show and the older folks love to come and get you know got them out and, and made them happy and then they would got free food because it was a buffet it was all all work for them but it really was it was a very it was a lot it was a lot of christmas i mean mm -hmm. even for somebody even if you really love Christmas, it starts to feel like a lot of Christmas. Um, <laughs> and so, and then after a season, after a couple of their non-equity, I did two of their non-equity shows. And then they did also do a murder mystery, um, which was a three-day affair, which started on Friday and would go till Sunday. It had eight scenes in different locations. Um, Wait, yeah. so the, the play, the production took three days. The production took three days. So the audience had to... Like, what if they were like, I'm going to skip that scene. I don't feel like going. 
people would do that because it was it was a whole package because like i say allenberry was a resort so it would take that would take over the entire resort for the weekend so people would arrive on friday afternoons and then at 6 p.m there was friday cocktails and that was the introduction scene and there was always a murder at cocktails um and and that would be like the inciting incident of the weekend and then from there they would change they would move from the cocktail room to the dinner room where everything is about timing so that you really did learn how to negotiate with like a kitchen <laughs> because all the scenes had to be timed out um and then they'd take little breaks where the so the servers could serve the meal and it was like a it was the dinners i think were uh the soup, the salad would be preset and then there was a soup um a main course and then a, and then another course that maybe wasn't you know and so there would be three times to serves and then there was dessert and so you had to figure out the timing and you had to keep the it was, it was keeping a lot of trains rolling because you'd have to they you'd have to mark a point in your uh script where you'd go and let the kitchen know that you're about to take a break and it's time to serve the next course and you also had to have uh call all the service staff in and have a meeting at the beginning of every night because there's gunfire and people running and you know, so you were actually, it was a really great experience because you learned how to, the things that were important to let people know about and to warn people about, especially, you know, I mean, I, I like to think it was kind of what helped prep me for eventually doing a tour. Um, you know, you have to talk to a lot of people that don't necessarily know your show, but are going to be a part of it <laughs> um, and, and teach them, you know. It's like when this happens, make sure you're clear because there's going to be somebody running with a, a knife. I mean, they weren't real knives, but right. You no, know, it's somebody running with something big and heavy. <laughs> right. And have you ever worked as a waiter or have you ever worked in a kitchen mm -hmm. or? Yeah, because I never have. So part of me is like, I don't even understand how restaurants work. And now you want me to stage oh. a murder mystery around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of that, too. There was about putting like where the tables go. But I had the when I first started, I had never been a waitress, but eventually like I was at Allenberry from off and on from 2000 to 2005. And then I went back uh, in 2015 and I was there till 2016, which was their final season before they sold it and became non-equity. So um, I, I learned how to wait tables in that time. So I did, I think one or two murder mysteries, and after the, I did one. And then after the first one in the off season, when there was, you know, uh, theater works, sometimes it's trickier to find it in the winter time. There's less mm -hmm. of it when it's not summer stock. And so because Alan Berry did summer stock and then they did a Christmas show and then they did a murder mystery, I would wait tables, but the murder mystery was only Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so during the week I would stay because that way I didn't have to, I could stay in my housing because if not, they kick people, they kick you out of the housing for the week and you have to go back to New York or wherever you're from. So I was always trying to swindle away to find a free place to live. So I stayed during the week and I waited tables. And so eventually I became like, I mean, I was an insider because I knew the ins and outs of that building and of the service staff. And so I knew all of the service staff on top of it, but I also knew what serving a meal there was like and it made it it did make it easier but uh some people had had never waited tables because it's it really is about um 
I mean, it's, I don't think you would have a problem because it's a skill you already have. It's just like talking to a crew person. It's, mm. you know, it's like, here's, here's what's going to happen. And here's, because the directors, the director, it was always the same director. And they'd been, he'd been staging a murder mystery in that space for years. I mean, by the time I joined, it was like the 25th year of them doing it. So everybody kind of already knew the, how it worked. And so my job was just to grab the servers and be like, hey, when the lights go out, you know, clear out uh, or like, I'm going to give you a warning. And that's what I would traditionally do. I was like, I will walk around and I will warn you about these five points. And some of them, like there was a point where somebody would fall out of the ceiling. There was a trap door and they, you know, they repel down from the ceiling. And so I was like, when that happens, I will let you know that it's about to happen so you can be clear. Um, I was like, but a good rule of thumb is once the acting starts to clear the room which is why we would take the breaks to give them time to like do other things like clear the tables and fill the coffee and refill the wine and the water and serve a meal. That was what the big breaks were meant for so they could do their job as well. But sometimes they would do it while we were working because there was inevitably somebody that was just there that was like, I have to have more wine right now. And you're like, and the actors, the poor actors are like, anyway, so we we're going to like, I'm sorry, I'm going to need more wine right now. What is, why, is, where is their waitress? And the actors are just trying to, you know, and it, on occasion and in stuff like that, it was really fun because in times like that, an actor would be in the middle of their line and they would move from where they were staged and be like, here, let me help you. I'm going to go ahead and get you some wine. And they'd pick up the wine and they'd go and they'd find a certain, like, you know what I mean? There was a lot of. It, I, I loved it because it was a lot of figure it out. I mean, I think that's one of the best things that I learned from doing the murder mysteries because it is unexpected. You cannot control, you can't control it because you don't have control of any part of your anything. You don't have, the audience isn't in their controlled places. They are among, it's like putting all the actors on stage and then adding all these other people to do all, it would be like the crew building the set around the cast um, and the patrons while you were doing a show. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So you don't have the kind of controller or you have scenes that are outside and you cannot control what happens outside. So sometimes the, you know, the duck that just would not leave the area became part of your scene. There's just, you know, there's just, and some things were born out of, we had a scene at the bottom of a hill and you know like the weather now when everything's starting to melt well the hill got muddy and so as people were walking down the hill one week uh somebody slipped in the mud and it be <laughs> one person slipped and they they kind of they kind of slid into another person and knocked that person over and which bumped into somebody and knocked them over. And before you knew it, everybody was kind of rolling down the hill in the mud, um, which was Shh. horrifying to watch the first time because you're like, oh my God, is everybody okay? But then it was really funny. And so they kept it and it just became a thing they did as part of the show. So sometimes really brilliant things would come out of that. But yeah, I learned, I learned a lot doing those murder mysteries. And so they would start on Friday and then Saturday all day, you'd have a breakfast scene, um, a mid-morning activity scene where I would actually teach line dancing classes. <laughs> um, I would teach people how to, it was really like, I mean, the murder mystery was like a cruise ship on land is what they used to call it. So on Saturday mornings, people would come to my dance class and I would teach them how to do 
the YMCA and the electric slide and whatever popular dances there were. And then at night that evening, because then we, after lunch, everybody took a break um, and some people took naps, which is what I did. And most of the cast did, but there was walking tours of the area and, you know, and then there was like a high tea at four o'clock. If you, I mean, they just kept feeding you. And then cocktails was at six 30 on Saturday night and it was a costume party. And so people would come, whatever the theme was. And then there was a formal dinner, which was the main event. And there was a live band and there was action. Um, and then after the main event was over, which means like the big death of the weekend. After that, it switched from band to DJ. And then that's when they would play all the, you know, the sort of the wedding the wedding songs and they would start doing the dances so anybody that came to the dance well not just anybody that came to the dance class but I would really yell for everybody that had come to my dance class to get up but then on top of that we would get everybody out and then I would stand in front and yell the directions so I'd be like to the right to the left and um there was a point in life when not only did I do that but I could do all of those dances reversed so that I could look at you and do it backwards so you could follow the direction. I mean, it was a, it was a weird and fun and crazy experience. Um, and you drank during your job, which is something you never do, but you're drinking with the patrons. They're like, oh, have some wine. And you're like, okay, um, because you're just sort of dancing. It was a really weird way to do your job. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't drink until we started the dancing part because I had to deal with guns. So that was sort of my, you know, I was like, nah, I feel like maybe I shouldn't have a drink before I unload this gun here. Uh, <laughs> but after all the gunplay was done, uh, yeah, it was just really like a party that people were paying you to be part of. Um, and so I did that off and on for five years. And then they took in 2005, Allen Berry went on a hiatus where they, um, where they were non-equity for 10 years. And so kind of in 2004, by 2004, um, I feel like I'm talking too much. Um, <laughs> That's the whole point. I you know, get to talk all the time. <laughs> I know, it's just so weird. Um, in, 2000, in 2003, I went to my 10-year high school reunion and I realized that I was kind of just spinning my wheels because it was like I, I kind of described all that because it was just a really fun party. And then in the summer, Alan Berry was like Kellerman's from Dirty Dancing, except we were like the Johnny Castle crew. So we were the kids that hung out on the front porch and every once in a while, a guest would roam by and be like, you guys look like you're having all the fun. So Alan Berry was just a one, just a really special time in my life as in general it's where i've made a lot of my dear friends came from there but just the whole place was just fun and it was i realized when i went to my high school reunion that i was just spinning my wheels there like i wasn't growing i wasn't learning anything i had now officially really there was no reason for me to do a second summer season or a full season because i already had like 38 weeks for towards my emc i you know my emc points i'd already had like 38 weeks and so i only needed two more at the time um to get my card and so i did a second summer in 2000 and that was in 2001 like my second summer i gotten all the way to whatever the 
I maybe it was I can't remember. I feel like there was a point where it was like 40 points and you take a test or 50 points and you just get your card. Whatever it was, I had gotten to two weeks shy so that I wouldn't go over so that I could just keep hanging out at Allenberry. And mm-hmm. that's when I when I went to my high school reunion, I realized, well, maybe maybe waiting tables and murder mysteries and partying and maybe I, I want to do something else. <laughs> I, sh- I should do something else. What was it about your high school reunion that made you be like, oh, this isn't what I want? I was, I don't want to say embarrassed, but I was kind of embarrassed to tell people that what I did all the time. You know what I mean? At first, the first year, it's really fun and exciting. But, you know, I was in my third year of doing that. And I was, I was like, wow, I feel like I'm, I don't, I'm not a grown up. I'm not living a grown up life anymore. And, you know, people were married. I mean, there weren't a lot of, I'm, to be fair, I didn't talk to a lot of people from my high school reunion. Uh, most of my friends from high school were my theater friends. Like we did theater together and we still hung out together, even though we weren't all, none, not everybody was doing theater, but people had gone on and gotten married and had jobs and were doing big things and I realized that I was kind of an overgrown college kid partying and drinking and you know just I mean it was fun it was work but I also wasn't saving anything I wasn't really making any money um and I wasn't I wasn't going to go anywhere doing that I mean I could go right there I could do exactly that and be there and do that and it would be fine but I wouldn't grow and I, so I sort of realized I was maybe hiding out a little bit there because it was really comfy. Um, <laughs> and so it was, and it was the, the having to tell people what I did and not just that I had a job because that was great. I had a job, but when they'd ask what I did is it was the part that I was like, oh yeah, uh, I, I'm just acting like an overgrown child. I'm not really, you know it's it's set up to be your a, a transition year you can go back and be the main stage stage manager or whatever but they'd had like a lot of summer stock theaters they had a main stage stage manager who'd been there you know their equity stage manager had been there for years and he wasn't going anywhere so there was nothing for me to do and so i um after my that reunion i had i had actually moved to carlisle pennsylvania i'd gotten an apartment there so that you know I so I was making just enough money to pay my rent so that I didn't have to live on the property and I could do what I wanted whenever I wanted but I wasn't really going anywhere so I gave up my apartment I moved back onto the property and I did one final season I did one murder mystery and then I did their um there a couple of the, I worked on their shows during the winter and I helped sort of get things organized because I had been there for a long time and I'd kind of just become like a go-to person. Like I knew the ins and outs of a lot of things. So I sort of started setting it up for somebody else to come in and do a lot of my jobs and, you know, and really make it clear what I was doing and what job duty I was actually doing at that point. (laughs) Um, And then I started applying for jobs and that's when uh, I applied for at Main Stage Music Theater uh, in Maine for the summer. And I was interviewed by Ruth Kramer, who anybody who works in stage yes. knows. And uh, Ruth Kramer and I, I liked her immediately and we sort of clicked and she hired me. And I went up to Maine for the summer as the, they were looking for uh, a journeyman because Maine kind of, I don't know if anybody ever remembers, but there was a whole 
there's like a breakdown of you know apprenticeships and stuff that nobody ever follows in any sort of but it it is a structure that's there and in Maine they have interns apprentices journeymen and then the whoever the people in charge are so for stage manager it was the stage manager the assistant stage manager the journeyman two apprentices and an intern and so they were looking for a journeyman that was ready to take their card because Ruth was gonna have to leave for the final show of the season because she had another gig and so the ASM was going to move up and become the stage manager and they needed somebody that was ready to move up and become the ASM and so that's why I got hired because I was sort of right there and fun fact I mentioned that I had gotten all my points except for like two well that's incorrect I had apparently gotten all of them because the Allenberry had been submitting them and so when I got to Maine Equity actually called Kathy Gazinski, who's the company manager up there. I don't know if she's still there, but she was there for a long time. She was an institution and she is awesome. And so they called uh, Kathy and they were like, here's the deal. Your, your journeyman has all of her equity points and she needs to be equity right now. And so Kathy was like, great. Well, she's going to turn equity at the end of the season. It's part of her contract. It's what she's doing. She's taking her card then. Um, but if you would like me to, because they were really pushing to give me my equity card or find somebody else. And she's like, so if you would like her to start her career, knowing that her union said to fire her because they she had signed a contract and, you know, when she is going to take her equity card, if that's what you would like me to do, I will do it. But I don't think that's a great start for her equity career. Do you? <laughs> and they were like, oh, uh, mm. and so she came in and she was like, so you're going to take your equity card at the end of the summer. And, and, you know, and she told me the whole story and I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. She's like, I've been dealing with equity for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was because, so it was, uh, Kathy Kaczynski fought for me and Ruth Kramer, uh, Ruth Kramer hired me and Kathy Kaczynski fought for me to keep that job, um, for which I am ever grateful. And that's where I got my equity card. And then from there, um, that fall of 2004, Ruth ended up in Arkansas at Arkansas Rep and the stage manager, the ASM that she usually worked with up in Maine wasn't available. And so she called me and I was like, absolutely. And then I started, a, that started me on a relationship with Arkansas Rep for six or seven years. Um, I did, I think 20 shows there between 2004 and 2010. Uh, but main stage, I was their very first, that show I did with Ruth in 2004, I was their very first equity ASM because they had been on a LOA and then they had just transitioned to a Lort contract. So it was great. It, I, so I did that and then I did one week stock in West Virginia and I've done, I was in Missouri uh, at Stage of St. Louis. I did mm -hmm. a show out there. Um, and I've been, and then there came a point after that show that I was feeling a little burnt out. I didn't know, you know, there, it hits a point where I don't, I was kind of like, I don't know what my next step is, but I feel like I should be making it. I felt like, again, I had this sort of moment uh, that ironically, I was coming up on my 20 year reunion <laughs> at that point. Um, and it, I, didn't, I didn't really actually realize it until I just started thinking about the years we were in. But yeah, I sort of realized that I was spinning my wheels again. Like it was great. Like I could go to Arkansas and I could prep a show that you got a week of prep, but I could do it at that point. I could prep an entire show down there in a day 
because I'd been going down there so long. Like I knew it took me zero time to do it. Um, and so it was to the point where all I was doing was teaching the interns, which was great for them. I was like, hey, I already know how to do this and I can do it really fast. So here, you're going to do this thing and you're going to do this thing. And I really did step back and they got a really great, you know, I feel like they got to learn a lot of really great things. And um, a lot of them have gone on to be quite successful. And, um, you know, and I encountered a lot of great people down there. I mean, one of the interns was uh, Stephen Horton, who I don't know, he runs, uh, he's, uh, oh, what's the place in Kentucky? Uh, Louisville. Uh, Lu so he works at Louisville. Um, he's the PSM in Louisville. Uh, I Penn Ross Jackson, Ross Jackson. Uh, I worked with him down in Little Rock. He wasn't even a stage manager. He was uh, a follow spot operator on Smokey Joe's Cafe. There's just, I've encountered so many. It's fun when I look at the, at like all the stage manager groups and I see all these people I've worked with when they were young. There's a stage manager named Alex. I can't remember, but I worked with him in Main State. Or like uh, Sadie DeSantis, who, uh, is a, a regional i think she's a she's a regional rep somewhere uh, she's in kansas city kansas, yeah there it is kansas city um i worked with her in pennsylvania at mountain playhouse one summer um so yeah it's just fun i've seen a lot of really I, i've i've gotten to watch a lot of really great careers start and you know and i'm not saying that i had anything to do with any of their success but i got to you know i played a little part in their story their life story um which i just think is fun i i like to see where people have gone on to do and it it, and it is interesting because it also helped me see that you know i was able to spot people that had excellent potential um just there's no way to test that until you see what people go on to do and so it was just interesting i was like i did understand that it's i could have done i could have gone back and been a teacher because i did have that skill to be able to see things but yeah after um I so I've been doing uh in right before my tenure reunion I realized I was spinning the wheels and I didn't feel like I was going anywhere more I was I sort of hit another plateau and so I really took some, I took a couple years off to reevaluate everything I was doing I went back to school for radio and television broadcasting which is uh where the the impetus to start this you know start podcasting and stuff but I had done it in college and so I went back to school for that is I just wanted, I think it's just, I kind of have hit the point where I feel like I should be growing and I wasn't. New York, you were, you lived in work. It, New York's a hard scene. Um, and I grew up, I grew up in Long Island. So I didn't even have to worry about a house or a place to live if I was there, but I couldn't afford to just hang out in New York and not work, <clears throat> especially. And I couldn't afford to work on those contracts where you know they pay you like a hundred dollars for two weeks of work because i lived in long island and so i had to take i was bridge and tunnel i had to take a, a train into the city every day and then a subway and that was expensive i mean a week of a week of going in and out on the train was over a hundred dollars then plus a subway card so it's just i it became an impractical thing i couldn't afford to do that um and so that's why i had just really mainly done regional work um, and then in 2015, uh, my friend Ryan Gibbs, who is awesome, and he's a 
he's a stage manager and I now he works for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Um, and me and him have been friends since our Allenberry days. We were interns together and I mean, I was in his wedding. I was like, I've, you know, I've been around, we've been around the block. So uh, he called and he was, he had gotten the opportunity to be the artistic director at Allenberry Playhouse. Um, essentially they were hiring him to you know, staged the house. So it was pretty for sale. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was the one to make it look attractive, but we had a great, he was down there for a year and a half um, or maybe two seasons. His first season was just getting them sort of back on track. And then the second season he fought for guest artist contracts to get them back in the equity market. And so I did their final season as a guest artist stage manager. And then there were two guest artist actors in the in the show and it was so fun because all of the people that were in charge we were all interns together my friend elizabeth angelosi who'd been an intern with us she was doing costumes and choreographing and she was in some of the shows and my friend fern marie ames was the general manager and she'd been like we'd all just been down there as kids thinking saying like wouldn't it be great if someday we ran this theater and then we were running the theater and that was a lot of fun and you know and so it was really sad when it closed but it it was also really great that we got to spend that last season you know it's last season as an equity theater together and we'd been there for so you know it was great it was a great experience uh but that's what kind of drew me back into theater and then i started doing some more stuff i worked at capital rep um and you know when i came back at that point i started working at bigger theaters like oslo rep and then milwaukee rep and i did a tour um with I did Cruel Intentions, the 90s musical, uh, <laughs> which was a lot of fun as well. And so I was now doing bigger things. Uh, and it was the tour actually that led me to Chicago. That was, I'd never been to Chicago in my life. People had said, try Chicago. When I was looking, um, when I was at Capitol Rep in 2016, uh, and I don't mean to bring it down, but it's just sort of part of the story. Uh, 2016, my mother passed away. And that was October of 2016. And then in June of 2017, my father passed away. Like it was six months, it was like six months apart. It happened really fast. And it was sort of without warning, my whole life had shifted upside down. That's and so hard. It was. And I didn't, I was kind of a, you know, I did a couple of shows in North Carolina after that. And um, I really feel like I did a Raisin in the Sun down there. And it was a great show and the cast was great and I was terrible like not terrible like I did a perfectly okay job but I can look back and see that I was a disaster and I was not my best self because I was just sort of going through the motions because I needed to keep working because because you don't I don't know you just don't build things in theater especially if you don't have like a part if you're just all by yourself there's like you know I'm I've been living paycheck to paycheck for my whole career and I was just I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do I, so I after the capital rep season ended um I moved to North Carolina because my parents had always wanted to move to North Carolina and I didn't know what to do with myself I couldn't afford to stay in New York and they always wanted to move to North Carolina and they never got to so I did and that was sort of where I sort of regrouped a little bit and I worked at triad stage down there and then I worked with um it's North Carolina theater in Raleigh. It's their, their big music. I think that's what it is. It's, they work out of the, the big 
center down there and they do their runs are three weeks it's one week of rehearsal um a week and a half of rehearsal a half a week of tech and then a week of performances and i think it's i think that is it they work out of the uh it's a power company whatever the power company is down there that's the name of the center that they work out of yeah it's it's awesome it was awesome they were awesome people but um triad stage was the first place i went and like i said i did raise in the sun and i was a i was a mess i mean i was just coming off of cleaning out my parents house and prepping it for sale and i was sad and i was depressed and um you know so i moved to north carolina and i was doing this show and i was not you know i mean i was giving it like 80 percent of because i just didn't have any more to give um and i was not focused and you know and it was like i say it was i was just fine like nobody was in danger or anything but i wasn't it was a bad representation of my actual professional work uh and then and i was spinning my wheels because i couldn't take work because i was the person that had to go back to new york to sign when they sold the house and stuff, I had to be, I was one of the people on the estate that had to go and be there for any sort of selling. And so I was actually spinning my wheels because I couldn't take anything that wouldn't let me go back to New York whenever the closing was and we hadn't set a closing. And it was like, we finally set the closing date for my parents' house. And then the next day I got a phone call from that theater in Raleigh. Uh, and they were like, do you want to come and do Newsies? And I was like, yes. And then I got a call from Oslo Rep. And they were like, hey, because Ryan Gibbs was supposed to work down there and he'd gotten another job and he suggested me. And they're like, hey, Ryan Gibbs dropped out. Uh, do you want to come down and do the Music Man in the fall? And I said, yes. And then the theater I had worked at, Triad Stage, was like, hey, do you want to come do this show for us? And it was sort of suddenly like, once I didn't have this thing holding me back, I got all these offers and... um so oslo was great and that was when i i felt like i was finally moving to the next stage where i was working at these bigger theaters like the lord a's um and so i did as i did the music man at oslo and then i went back and i did another show i did mamma mia at the theater in raleigh and then while i was there i got cast in the tour of cruel intention or not cast in the tour i got hired for the tour um for cool intentions which was the first time i'd ever been on tour and it was so much fun i don't i i feel like i had it was a great experience i'm really glad i did it and i'd wish i had done it when i was younger because i feel like that was the trick is that i was over 40 at that point and sleeping on a bus with four dudes was not my they were lovely dudes you know but i was still on a bus with four guys mm -hmm. for a lot of months and no matter how cool they are um i have become a grown lady who likes her private space where i can set up all my you know creams and lotions and makeup and things like i'm not super fancy but i do like to have my space i, I just you know sleeping on the bus was hard um but also i wouldn't have traded it it was a fun experience and uh our sec and it was a lot of one-nighters i think we hit i think it was 27 states in over the course of the month two months oh wow yeah it was something crazy or 17 states in the two it was a lot and they were all one-nighters except for we did two weeks in chicago a week in dallas and a week in philly and so that was the first time i'd ever been to chicago we flew in it's almost almost exactly two years ago we flew in on march 31st of 2019 uh and our first day of work was april 1st 
And uh, I, you know, and we actually, because we were there, once we were set up, we had a lot of time because it was just running the show. And I kind of walked around the city and I was like, you know, there was a thing I, when I was in New York, I didn't, I didn't love New York. I thought it was, um, it's a busy, crazy city. And I don't know, I grew up there. I, it, it just wasn't, I don't know. There's a lot of hype about it and I appreciate it. And I, like I say, it was in my backyard. I grew up there, but I was looking, it didn't feel quite right for me. Um, and then I started walking around Chicago while I was here for the tour and I didn't have a car. So everything was like walking around and taking things in or Ubering. And I was like, I really like this city. Like, I feel like I love this city. It has all the things that I loved about New York without all the things that I didn't love about New York. And at that point, I, you know, I was looking, I knew that North Carolina wasn't going to be my permanent resting place. It was just sort of a stopover. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I think maybe Chicago's the next step. And I was also at a point where I was tired of working. I was tired of doing all the regional work where, you know, you have your home and you set it up and then you have to throw all of your things or, you know, you make the Sophie's choice of like the things you really need and you throw them in a bag and then you go and you live in another state for three or four months, uh, which is hard to do because I like I had the luxury because my parents were on Long Island that I never had to have an apartment in New York. So my stopping place between gigs was always my parents' house. And so now that they had passed away and I'd sold their house, it like when I did the season in Oz, that's that show in Oslo, I was gone for three months. There was no, it was a disaster trying to get my mail because I also didn't know anybody. And I was just sort of over the leave my home and not sleep in my bed to work. And Chicago also offered that. And then I started, and before I had even moved to North Carolina, um, I had done a thing and I hadn't contacted anybody in Chicago, but I'd, I'd looked at like, you know, I was like, Philly has a theater scene. Uh, Pittsburgh has a theater scene. Uh, there's like a sort of Massachusetts area theater scene. I kind of looked at places that had like, I went on the equity website and I looked at places that had a lot of theaters. And I then wrote to all of the theaters in that area to see if anybody, you know, I was like, hey, I'm thinking of moving. Do you have any work for me? And I, I you know, I got some hits and stuff, but it didn't feel, you know, they were kind of like, no, maybe, you know, let us know when you're here. Um, so I kind of made the decision that I was going to move to Chicago while I was on the tour. Um, and then I made friends with somebody that was uh, one of the crew guys, one of the IA guys on the tour. And so I came back after the tour was over and I was sitting in his kitchen and I started emailing places in the Chicagoland area, one of which was the Marriott in Lincolnshire. And um, she got back to me right away. And was like, yes, absolutely. We would love to have you. And that was sort of, you know, that really cinched it for me. And then I moved in October. Um, but while I was actually, while I was on tour, I had gotten hired to work at Milwaukee Rep as well. Um, so I had done both of those, you know, I had Milwaukee and then uh, I was able to, you know, Chicago was going to offer me the advantage of like working and coming home to my own apartment at night without having to pack up all of my belongings to go work. And it seemed like a really great plan. And I feel like I was on my way to living that life. Um, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. And it's so, 
it's so real the what you described because I feel like when I was 23 I was like I'm gonna be on Broadway and I'm gonna be able to own a castle and like the older I get the simpler my dreams get yeah where it's like I just want a washer and dryer in my house yeah that was a big thing when I was looking for a place to live I was like I have to have a washer and dryer I do not want to go to a laundromat anymore that was also a big thing like I just I wanted to feel like a grown-up and it's um and you know and whatever your definition of a grown up is but like mine was you know i have a i don't have to leave my home to work anymore i don't want to i didn't want to do that and you know and now we hit this pandemic and it's sort of you know it's the point where everybody's just started reevaluating things and there's been a lot of talk about the way theater is run and stuff and i mean it really the one thing i did realize during the pandemic is that it's i i'm worried about I'm worried about if I can stay in theater. I mean, and I say that because I, I, I did a lot of crappy jobs. Like I worked for like a hundred dollars a week and I took a lot of sort of, I don't want to say abuse cause that's the wrong word, but like, you know, sort of mistreatment, like things that you look back on and you go, wow, I probably should have said something about that. Cause that wasn't the way I should have been treated. Um, you know, but I dealt with it at the time because I was like, I'm working towards something bigger. But then, you know, I was in my shower realizing that I was like, here I am. I'm in my 40s. Um, I was at the top of and I started a podcast during the pandemic where we talked to theater people. Well, it's not just theater people. We talked to people that have transitioned their life in some way. Like, you know, they a lot of them are theater folks that had gone to school for theater and then at some point decided they wanted to do something else. Like there was an AE stage manager we talked to named Nicole Dickerson, who started her life as a stage manager in California. And now she's a veterinary technician. Um, and, you know, there's just people that have done like transition from things, but then, you know, the next episode that comes out on Wednesday, it's like a guy that started as a server and now he's a realtor. So it's not just theater folks. It's just, you know, the limited people it's me and Tori Sheehan, who's also a, a stage manager, um, you know, the people we know are theater people. <laughs> so that's, it's just the nature of the beast. But um, what's the name of it? It's called Uncharted Territory, like our names. Tara and oh, Tori. cute. So Uncharted Territory. Uh, we have a new episode every Wednesday and we pretty much just talk to people that transition from, um, you know, one thing, or maybe they moved across the country. It's sort of, you know, things that people did to chase their happy or to, figure out how to live their life after some major event. Like we had a two episode season with, uh, or two epi two part episode with this guy, Bruce Ward, who was diagnosed um, with AIDS in the, in 84 during the big epidemic, you know, and how he survived and what survival is like and what it's like charting the territory of being like a person living with AIDS. Um, so, you know, we talked to, I mean, I, it's, it's a lot of fun and we talked to so many interesting people, but the thing I was realizing is that I was hearing people say, oh, and then I realized I was, you know, I was only making $50,000 a year. And so I wanted, and I wanted to buy a home or something. And I realized I was like, wow, I never made that in my best year. And I was like, before the pandemic, I feel like I was sort of at the top of what my game is. Like the only thing higher than what I was doing was really Broadway. I mean, I was working for these Lord A theaters. Like that's sort of the highest level <laughs> that you get. And um, there, I just, I'm, I'm concerned because now, you know, we're a year into a pandemic 
and I'm going to lose my insurance in a month and I don't have any savings anymore. And I go, you know, and I was working six day weeks and I feel like I don't have anything to show for it besides like a lot of great stories, which I mean, we've already gone past, I think where you wanted to. Um, and we haven't even gotten to any of your other questions. And like, I have a plethora of stories and I could talk about them forever. Some totally not appropriate for uh, a podcast, but I would love, you know, but come have a beer with me sometime or, and I'll tell you all of them. Um, you provide the beer and I'll bring the cake. Excellent. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I have a great stories and great experiences, but like, as far as like the creature comforts or like, you know, I'm, I sort of started assessing, I was like, I'm getting older. And a lot of my friends who I was, who got married when they were younger, like their kids are starting to hit the age where they're going to be graduating and, or getting married. And I, I said no to a lot of things because I couldn't do it because I was working or like, you know, I have a friend that travels a lot. Like he is, you know, he, he was a server and he, now he travels a lot. Um, which he was able to do from saving money from being um, a high a server at high end restaurants, and I was like, I have never gone on a vacation because I can't afford it. I'm a single, I'm single, so I'm a one income house. So it's hard um, to sort of maintain any lifestyle. So now I'm just sort of trying to think of like, is 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 it theater, or is it stage management, or what's what's next? Um, so I've been looking at like, what else can I do at a theater that might give me a more, I don't know, but I, but my problem is, is that I like, I like, you know what I mean? I like it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. The pandemic has given you, me a lot of time to think and maybe too much time to think. And, um, and I haven't come up with any answers. And that was sort of where the podcast came from is, you know, maybe if I just talk to a bunch of people and see what they did, maybe it'll, you know give me some ideas of what I can do. I mean, you know, I did um, unpack my apartment, which I had not actually done because I kind of got here and I started working. Um, you know, I moved here at the end of 2019. I did a play reading in December. And then in January, I started this job at Lincolnshire and I was, you know, slowly unpacking, but at a snail's pace. So I actually unpacked and then I sort of went through and I picked up some of my old habit like old my my old crafting habits which are knitting and crocheting and I make soaps and lotions sometimes Ooh. in the summer like um I like a bug repellent one and they're just fun it's like a little thing I just enjoy doing and then I send them to all my friends or whatever and um you know so I I kind of like refound all those hobbies that I loved and missed and I think that's where the the great pause has has made I think everybody sort of reevaluate what's important and I realized when I started doing all those things that I had stopped doing them and I don't know why um you know I remember uh talking to I think it was actually Kathleen but because uh she started as the stage manager and now she she worked for equity and I remember talking to her after she trans made that transition and she was like well you know if you're not gonna do theater then you have to fill your time yeah, like you use the job as like you know your sort of nine to five job and then you fill your time with all the other things that you love and so that's sort of what I've been trying to do I've been trying to fill my life with all the things that I love and then trying to decide as I'm looking for I mean 
I'm not going to lie. If somebody offers me a job, I'm taking it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm not really picky right now. Um, but you know, it is making me think like in the long term, what's the next, you know, what's the next step? Like I've done a lot of regional and now I'm in Chicago. I really had wanted to give the live and work and come home to my bed and work in Chicago thing a try. I mean, I live near a train station, which was, one of my childhood dreams i wanted to live in an apartment that was near a train station so that i could get up in the morning and take my commuter cup of coffee and walk to the train station and take the train into work like that was sort of this really young dream i had when i was a kid because they built these apartment buildings right by the train station in long island where i lived and now i kind of live exactly in that building that's right by the train station and i had this sort of dream of doing that and i never you know i was driving to lincolnshire because it's um up and it's supposed to into this from where i live i live in uh, mount prospect which is the north suburbs of chicagoland um so i was driving there and i um but i had this dream of you know being able to take the train in and have my grown-up life where i went to work at a theater in downtown chicago and you know maybe i will still get that dream i don't know what happens next um <clears throat> which I think is also exciting. But I also know that I would like to be able to, you know, I would like to live, I, in addition to just living and working in the same place where I can sleep in my own bed, I'd also like to not have to turn down, you know, somebody's getting married or being able to save and go on vacation. And that's a big thing that I know people have been talking about a lot. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, not the not six day the five day work week as opposed to the six day work week, which would also be amazing. Or mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's next. And I also, cause I also don't know what theater is going to be like when it comes back. It's such like a, it's an, it's such a huge unknown. Mm -hmm. uh, we are the last, one of the last professions that's going to come back. You know, they've even figured out how to do sports ball. <laughs> <laughs> Yet theater and yeah. concerts, we're still waiting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. So you know, who knows what, what, it, what, what, what our future holds in general. Um, but I love, I've read, I've read a lot of articles where they have, they hired two stage managers to do the job and they split the job. And so you don't work all week. I don't know. I love that idea too, because it's also, there's this, you, when you, sometimes when you're a stage manager, you miss the camaraderie um, when you're like the stage manager, not when you're the ASM, when you're the ASM, you're backstage and you sort of like, but sometimes when you're the stage manager, the last, the buck stops here stage manager, you sort of miss all the camaraderie. And I think it would be so fun to have like another stage manager that was doing the exact same job as you, because then there is somebody that knows exactly what your job is and what you're doing. And somebody that can be like, can you believe when, you know, when we, when I had to call this cue at this point, when this thing was still moving and they go, oh my God, when I had to do it the other night, you know what I mean? It, it would be, there's just something that would be, that seems really enticing about having um, another person that you can like talk to and commiserate with and who knows the exact experience. And also that takes the pressure off of you if you feel sick or if you have an emergency. I was very lucky when I, when I lost my parents that the theater I was working at they gave me time off without without question and they were like take as much as you need but you know thing, things like that don't happen at convenient times mm -hmm. and i was very stressed when i knew my mom was uh sick that 
I was I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What if I'm in the middle of the run? Or and they were like, we'll figure it out. And I was like, are you sure? Um, so yeah, I was very, I feel very lucky for that. So I've got three questions that I want to make sure I hit. Okay. Um, but this, when you were talking about like having another stage manager that you could work with, it was your Com- com- compatriot I guess yeah. is a good word yeah. like what do you look for in a in a partner in a work partner in a team right like who is it that you want to spend 80 hours a week with oh that's that's a great question um I want to say when I was in Milwaukee the person I was hired the uh, Kimberly Corollis is the production stage manager there and I loved working with her um she's the production stage manager but on the show we did we did west side story together i was the stage manager and she was the asm and it was great because she complimented me and i complimented her on the things our sort of strengths and stuff like when it came to at the end of the night when it came to writing an email you know you have to form an email or write something that that hard email that you have to write to somebody about something sensitive or whatever. Um, I am great with the big, broad idea. And Kimberly is great at editing it to sound professional. (laughs) And so I loved it because I could just write the whole, I I was like, this is kind of the gist of it. But she wasn't good with coming up with the, the, you know, the big, broad idea. She was excellent at the editing part. So like, that was a great compliment. Or and it was the same thing when it came to like writing notes. Like I would be like, these are the notes, blah, 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 blah. And then I would hand them off and then she would go through and she would edit them and make them sound better. So like, I didn't have to worry about the, like I got the broad strokes and then she would fill in the details. Like that was, it was a really nice compliment. Um, and you know, and it was the same thing. I worked with Tori. Tori was, um, she was, I was her ASM and then she was mine. And it was awesome. Because, you know, it's sort of somebody that's a good support team, just in general, no matter what the thing you're doing, somebody that's a, that's an excellent support team. So if you're like, it's what I try to do as well, when I'm the ASM, um, you know, I try to, I try to field as many of the questions to give the stage manager some space to do the other things that need to get done. Um, So I think in a partner, I'm just looking for somebody that's the right that's a compliment to that we complement each other's strengths and weaknesses like we don't need to broad stroke people because then the reports are going to sound like a child wrote them (laughs) sometimes I feel like it's not a child but like you know I don't worry about the spelling and I don't worry about the the wording specifically because I know somebody else's I mean I can do it it's just not my favorite and it's not my Mm -hmm. it's not my stronger skill editing is not my skill um as you can tell from the amount that I talk, I just <laughs> talk and then let somebody else fix it. And so it's sort of, that's, I'm, I'm always looking for somebody that's like a nice compliment. Um, and it's true. And even when you're, when you're putting together a team, I think that's what you're always looking for is that you don't want, you don't need two people that are good at this one thing. It's really nice if somebody's good at, you know, if somebody's really good at taping out the floor, then you don't want three people that are good at that because you know, then who's going to track the props? Um, but if you have somebody that's really excellent in taping on a floor and somebody that's not, that's okay. Because then, the, you know, as long as they have something that they're really good at, because then I feel like 
everybody can learn from each other, which is also a thing I enjoy doing. Like, you know, I, anything I know how to do, I learned from somebody on the job. Cause like I told you, my theater, my stage management class left a lot to be desired. It was a fun class, but not very informational. Um, so everything I learned, like taping out circles, I learned from Ruth Kramer, um, who has a, a whole system and it's great. And it was the very first show I did when we were in Arkansas, it had three circles. And so, you know, like it's a thing that I learned how to do. I'm still not good at it uh, at all, but I know the general concept and I can explain it to somebody else. <laughs> um, I was like, Ruth Kramer was really good at this. I am my circles. I had to do show with circles and they were people laughed at them. It is fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, yeah, so you want people that complement each other so that everybody can learn something. I think that's really important. And I, cause I also think it's important that everybody remembers that there's always something to learn. Like there's always somebody that knows some trick that you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing for everybody to remember that, you know, I, I don't think that, I mean, I even think that, you know, and I keep talking about Ruth Kramer because she's sort of like the, the person that I look to as the, as the person I learned a lot of things from. But even when you talk to her, she's still learning things. It's not like she's gone, well, I know it all. So we're done. You know what I mean? And I think that's the thing that every, that every, I, everybody can always remember that there's always something to learn and you look for somebody that you can that is really good at something that you want to learn and mm -hmm. you know what brings you joy oh so many things uh sunshine i i love the sun i love walking i love going for like walks in the sun uh i have a bike that I love. It's got pineapples on it, which I also love. Like it's, I mean, I feel like the things that bring me joy are just such simple, simple things. I have a, I have a balcony with a swing, like a little swing mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, that I love to sit outside on it. Uh, even when it was, I have a little heater that I would sit at so I could sit out in the winter time. It's just being outside, uh, breathing the air, just makes me happy my friends uh who are just awesome who i've gotten to talk to and spend a lot of time with during you know i sort of got to reconnect that was another great thing from the pandemic is i spent a lot of time sort of reconnecting with friends that you know things happen work gets busy life happens and it's not that you don't like your the people you just don't have the time to devote to keeping you, you just let you know you sadly let things drift and so I've reconnected with a bunch of people and that's been amazing. Um, you know, and I also love to cook and I love to knit and crochet things. I sort of say, I was like, I love to keep people fed and I love to keep them warm and I love to make them laugh. So those are sort of the, the, the general things like, and if I can do it with all with a single person, if I've like made you a scarf and then we have a meal together and then watch a movie and laugh, that's like the ultimate, you know, yeah, day spent with a friend. It's just amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so delightful. I'm going to end it there because that's such a lovely sentiment to end on. Ah, awesome. And also I've been watching the other thing that brings me joy. And I know we were trying to get off the phone. Uh, Chicago Fire. I've been watching Chicago Fire and it's been so fun because anytime they pass someplace that I know, and I didn't really get to explore Chicago before the pandemic hit. So there's a lot of 
empty spots, but I am enjoying watching it for the simple fact that I'm like, that's my city. I live there. It's a thing that I think is fun. People from Chicago um, are really proud of being from Chicago. And I didn't understand it. And I still don't know why I feel it, but I just do. <laughs> it's a thing I'm like to say, I'm like, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I'm from Chicago now. Um, it's a thing. It's sort of a, anytime you hear people talk about being from Chicago, there's a great pride in it. And, you know, I mean, I did, I grew up in New York, so I understood, understood it for New York. And now I understand it for Chicago. Like it's a, there's a great pride in being here and I'm very excited. This was the first episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes when they drop. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Tara Kelly. The stage manager calling places was Katie Clemmy. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank, Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, we have places and the house. Please stand by.